But last week, the world celebrated Easter. We as Christians did too. Today, we still celebrate Easter, right? And, and tomorrow, we'll do the same. And the next day and the next. Because Jesus' redemptive work on the cross wasn't once and done. It is once and it continues. It started and it's ongoing. Last week, we talked about the last seven statements Jesus made from the cross. And the one that, that really stuck with us that we put our hope in is the word tetelestai, which means it is finished. And, and we talked about the word it is finished is a perfect verb that, that means it's not just once and done, but is continually over and over. It is finished, it is finished, it is finished. The redemptive work of the cross, his mission is, is all continues and we're a part of how that continues. So how unfortunate those three simple words can make us think of the word done when we hear it is finished. When the truth and power of those three words is, is the source of the greatest joy that one can experience. The joy is the freedom from our sin, the defeat of death, and the hope for salvation through reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. And we claim the benefit of this new covenant promise each and every day, and we redeem this promise when our life on earth is done. But even my use of the word done in regards to our life on earth is, is misleading as well, because when our life on earth is done, it's more of a comma in our story, not a period, because our life continues eternally and magnificently in heaven. But this is why we mourn the loss of our friends and family, but celebrate in our hearts the joy that they have found, the joy that we have in store for ourselves too. And last week I concluded the, more, most, the message portion of the service with a short video clip from the movie, The Passion. And in this clip, there were no words, just a scene where the stone was being rolled away and, and light was entering the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid there three days earlier. And as the light spread across, you know, inside, it fell on this, the covered body of Jesus. You could see the shape and outline with just a simple cloth, white cloth over it. And then the cloth slowly fell flat to reveal there's no longer the body of Jesus there on that stone. And the camera panned to the left where Jesus had been seated or was seated. And you could see him sitting upright and, and the light coming in the tomb filled his eyes. And he simply stood up and walked out. And as he passed in front of the camera, you could see the hole in his hand where the nails had secured him to the cross. And we knew that our Savior lives. Powerful, quiet moment. And the book of Acts captures the next part of the story as Jesus' followers continued his work of sharing the good news, which is now even greater news because the good news that Jesus was sharing didn't include that he had been raised from the dead, that our sins were forgiven, that there is, you know, um, defeat. Satan has been defeated and, and death has been overcome. So now there's new and more news to share. So as the apostles and the disciples are traveling doing this, sharing the good news and making disciples of all people. They have got more to share. And this is the same mission that we are called to follow today. And this church and every other church around the world shares in this mission and calling to do this. The book of Acts introduces us to the man by the name of Paul, who went by Saul at the time, but we know him as the Apostle Paul. And we, didn't, uh, we know he didn't start as an apostle. In fact, he wasn't that good of a guy by all accounts or even a follower of Jesus. He actually persecuted the Jesus' followers. But he had an experience with the Savior that changed his life. And then his testimony and his teachings began to change the life of people ever since, including people like you and I. He and, and, and teamwork with Peter began traveling and teaching. 
And Peter remained focused primarily on the Jewish people. And, and Paul, with his newfound wisdom, spoke to the Gentiles, which has been really interesting because he was such a devout Jew. He knew the law. And I think that's what gave him his insight to go and speak to these people and say, hey, look, I know what it says, but let me tell you what, what the Son of God says. Would you show the slide, the next slide? This is a bit of a biblical history lesson. Paul's journeys took him through places like Ephesus and Galatia and Philippi and Colossae and Thessalonica, and Rome and Corinth. And, and these are important because you recognize the names from the epistles, these letters in the Bible that, that make up so much of the New Testament. Names like Ephesians, right? Colossians, Corinthians, Thessalonians, Galatians, and Romans. You can change it back now. This morning, we're gonna talk about the freedom that we have been gifted through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Specifically, we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul says about it in his letters to these early churches that he had visited during his missionary journeys. And what's really interesting to me, you know, Galatians was written somewhere between 49 and 57 AD. So not only a long time ago, but well after, um, you know, Jesus' death. And from the map I showed you, you could see that Galatia was in, in modern day Turkey. These are lands that exist today, even if by, by other names. But here we are, you know, um, almost 2,000 years later, and if you read the letters that he wrote, he was talking, and not only was he teaching the church, but he was kind of admonishing them a little bit because some of them had fallen into bad habits. And so some of the problems we face as the church collectively today aren't new problems to us, problems of pride and, and dissension and stuff, and just getting a little off track with Jesus's original mission is something that's been around. So these are good letters, and, and I'm, I'm confident that this is why they're included in Scripture, because we have so much to learn, not just the, the verses that we, that we memorize so well, but the stories and the context behind why he was addressing these. And in our Sunday morning Bible studies, we're going to dive into some of these over the next couple weeks. But Galatians may be considered the Emancipation Proclamation of Christianity, which is why we're going to look at it when we talk about this newfound freedom in Christ. Its instructions, encouragements, and warnings are, are echoed in this letter to the Corinthians and Romans as well. And these letters helped the early gatherings of Christians, which became the church and everyone who has read the word since, to understand our freedom in Christ so that we can appreciate the grace that's been given. We can stand firm with confidence and courage and we can defend the truth, and just as importantly, we can examine our motives. From Luke 4, 18, we know what Jesus came, and it was to give us freedom. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus' own words. It says, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the sight of the blind to set the oppressed free. Okay, freedom for the prisoners and set the oppressed free. And last week we talked about these different definitions of who the oppressed are and these prisoners. We didn't talk about just people that were in prison because as far as I have read, Jesus did not go and, and release anybody literally from jail. But didn't he free people from their sin? Didn't he free them from, from he healed them and, 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 and drove out demons and, and just helped them find the real truth? These are the kinds of things that we are more likely to become prisoners to and oppressed from today. John 8, 31 through 32 also reveals a portion of his purpose. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Okay, so that's the trick. Hold to his teaching. He says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 2 Corinthians three seventeen says, now the Lord of the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, 
there is freedom. Now we hear this word free and freedom. And James describes this as the perfect law. James 1.25 says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Again, this word free and freedom, and we're trying to kind of put together from, from our understanding of this, from the translation into English, what this means. And the single word freedom can be interpreted in several ways. So let's pause and I want to look at some definitions. Patrick, would you put the slide up? Anybody an 1883 fan? You can, it's a guilty pleasure. You can, okay. I just one of the main characters has this quote as she's discovering writing on the prairie. And I love this. So I put it in here, not scriptural, but love. It says, freedom. To most, it is an idea, an abstract thought that pertains to control, right? And that what we think of with freedom. We're not under someone's control. It says, that's not freedom. That's independence. So think about that. But here's, here's more of the, the, the def, uh, dictionary definition. It says, the power or right to act speak or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint, right? This might be something like um, um, we have the right to freedom of choice. I, can, I have the right to say what I want, when I want, however I want. That's what we think of, right? So that's more of a right to an entitlement, a privilege, a prerogative. It's do me, right? That's, that's, that is that kind of freedom. Another one is absence of subjection to foreign domination or despotic government, independence, self-determination, self-rule, separation. Now, this is the United States. We signed the Declaration of Independence. We, we fought the Revolutionary War in order to establish this kind of freedom from someone governing us. But catch that word, separation. Remember that. Okay? You're separating for yourself when you, when you do that. Now, the third one is the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Now, this is liberty, liberation, release, emancipation, deliverance. I love that word in there, too. Again, we can think very literally about um, being free, held captive by whatever, a, a, you know, a locked door. But freedom gets us out from this imprisonment, and this can be a, a, something other than a literal imprisonment. And that's what we're going to look at, the things that, that can imprison us that are free. You can go ahead and change it, Patrick, if you wouldn't mind. But I want you to keep these definitions as mine, in mind as we, as we read about freedom as expressed in the Bible. The Apostle Paul writes in, in Galatians 4.1, and Larry read it. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a, sloke, a yoke of slavery. He came to set you free. You've been set free. Don't go back to those old ways. So he's saying, Jesus set you free. Now stay free. And I found this interesting illustration for, from Paul Zoll. It's a pastor story, so I don't know if it's true, but it makes a point, so we go with it. It says, a duck hunter was with a friend in the wide open land of southeastern Georgia. Far away on the horizon, he noticed a cloud of smoke. Soon he could hear crackling as the wind shifted. He realized the terrible truth. A, a brush fire was advancing so fast he could not run it. Rifling through his pockets, he soon found what he was looking for, a book of matches. He lit a small fire around the two of them. Soon they were standing in a circle of blackened earth, waiting for the fire to come. They didn't have to wait long. They covered their mouths and handkerchiefs and embraced themselves. The fire came near and swept over them, but they were completely unhurt, untouched. Fire would not pass where the fire had already passed. There was nothing there burn left. See, the law is like a brush fire. You know, you can't escape the rules of, of what we, the thou shalt and thou shalt not, right? We're still subject to them. But if I stand in the burned over place, not a hair in my head will be singed. Christ's death is the burned over place. This is where we huddle, hardly believing, but relieved. 
The law was powerful yet powerless. Christ's death has disarmed it. To equate this to Paul's warning, don't go stand in the unburned grass. Right? Don't, don't try to do it on your own or live outside of God's will. The protective area has been established. So remain in it. Jesus says, this is my will for your life. This is how a Christian should act and what they should do. This is the place that is protective. Not that the trouble won't come, but you will survive it if you remain in here. And so the thou shalts that, and the, the things that Jesus went on to explain, especially in the Sermon on the Mount where he took the, the thou shalts and thou shalt nots and he said, you've heard it said, but he explains it. Those are loving limits, right? We, we say that, that sometimes these rules, they restrain us, but sometimes they're for our protection to keep us on the inside where it's safe. So remember these words that I read a second ago. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That is the place where we want to remain. And the Apostle Paul gave warning about the proper use of freedom. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 24. And this, this kind of echoes back to that first definition. It says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything's beneficial, right? I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Right? We may have the freedom to act, speak, or think without hindrance, but that's not the way we're called to use our freedom. Listen to Paul's use of his freedom as found in the letters to Corinth. This is chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. It says, Though I am free to belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like the ones under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And Paul continues and he writes about the need for self-discipline. Picks up in verse 24. Do you know that in a race all the runners run, but not only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. And make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. It's a lot in there. But he's talking about humbling yourself. And, and he, when he says, I'm everything all people, he's not saying being fake. He goes, but sometimes your story, and we'll talk about this in a second, your story humbles you and your, your story makes you approachable. So when you, when you sit there and say, you know what, I've gone through this. This is the truth about me. You can relate to other people who may have been through that situation. It may be horribly unfortunate what you've gone through financially or with a relationship, but it may put you in a place where you can pull someone else along, hopefully like someone did for you. Romans 8, and we, we often talk of the Romans Road, the series of, of chapters written by Paul that they kind of go through the process of, of sin and redemption. But it starts Romans 8, verse 1. It says, Therefore there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in his likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. We do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And life in the spirit looks like this. Again, Paul, Galatians 5. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one and humbly in love, right? He's saying, you've got freedom. You've got a choice. Now use this choice to do the right thing. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can you imagine if you love God first and others second, but don't forget yourself because you need to take care of yourself and love yourself and see yourself as God does. But I have a choice. I can put myself first. And I'm my number one, and I guarantee if I'm my number one, I'm probably not your number one or two, because that's not a desirable thing. But if everybody else is your number two, and you're everybody else's number two with only God being above you, think what the world would look like. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Fantastic. And that's what God wants for us. I think that's what heaven is like. I do. But he jumps to head verse 19 and talks about the things that are of the flesh, the things that draw pull us off track. He says, acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness. He, he goes on and, and we go, he's like, oh no, I would never do that. But, but think about some of these things. He talks about idolatry. If you put things or money ahead of him, it can become an idol. Even good things can take away your focus. And that is the definition of an idol. Hatred, jealousy. Anybody else get a little jealous? I mean, there were some really nice boats on the lake yesterday, right? You know, it's not that I don't want them to have it. I just want it too. But you know what I'm saying? These are, these are things he's saying, don't get distracted by this stuff. And then he goes and said, but they're fruits of the spirit. When you're living in the right way, they're, fruit, they're, the, they're the, the benefit of, of what lives. And that, and that is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the one we like to to forget about his self-control, right? Because that's the one that, that's so hard. And he says, against such things, there's no law. But these are the fruits of the Spirit, right? They, they're the, the byproduct of, of living the way that he asks us to live. So 1 Peter 2 tells us to get rid of all these things, the malice, the deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and the slender of all kind. I would even say, when you feel that towards yourself, not just others, right? Aren't we our own worst critics sometimes? Because the truth is we all have sinned. And we all continue to sin. But the redeeming power of the cross is there for us to bring our struggles, our sins, everything that, that holds us back from experiencing freedom, true spiritual freedom. So I ask, what did you bring to church with you today? And I don't mean just your phone or your keys and I saw a few Bibles, right? What else did you bring? Did you bring your worries, your fears, your resentment, along with your joys? Bringing them is encouraged. You know, this is the one place we don't say leave the door. Bring them in here. Bring them in here. But leaving them is crucial. I was going to do this as a, a visual aid. I was going to bring a suitcase in. I found some when I was going through storage. And, and it's a big suitcase, so it would make a really good point. But if you can picture, this is the kind of stuff you're supposed to drag up to the cross and leave it. And I don't mean just in church. I mean figuratively as well. Bring that and leave it at the cross. What would you bring? Hurt, anger, guilt, resentment, hostility, maybe this need for vengeance, fear, worry even. 
Or, or what about just some of these painful memories, maybe a bad relationship or divorce or financial struggles or relationships, maybe health concerns, maybe your job causes stress. Bring that stuff and leave it. Leave it here and say, God, I give it to you. I surrender it to you. Not because I give up, but because I need your help. Perhaps you've heard this thing called the cardboard testimony. And it's, it's really neat. Um, maybe you've even done it for somewhere. But on one side, you write who you are or where you were before accepting this gift of forgiveness, right? And, and sometimes that hurts to even write and see in writing. And, and what you do on the other side, you, you write who you are now as a result of accepting God's grace. And at some point, you either have or you will turn that piece of cardboard over and reveal the person that God has known you always to be. A church made a recording of this as a part of their service, and they posted it. And if the people that are going to be listening online, I'll not be able to do it justice with a description. So I'm going to, I'm going to put a link in it. But go ahead and start this video. And it's a couple minutes long, but I really just want you to see and understand these are real people who came up. What would be my cardboard testimony in the kingdom of heaven to those? And this is what my testimony is. The pastor himself is holding a sign that says, Thief in the Royal Mess. And he turns it over and it reads, Now I'm God's Mess. And he moves to the side of the stage. We start to see individuals come out one by one. A middle-aged man that says, Bondage to pornography. He flips it over and says, Freedom through obedience. Another man comes out and it says, God Robber. He flips over the sign to reveal, God Led Giver. The next is another man, says, Christian men seemed weak. And he flips it over to reveal, now I am one. A young lady, says, was addicted to meth. She flips her sign and says, now addicted to him. Lady is pushed out in a wheelchair and says, fighting cancer. She turns it over with a big smile and says, by his stripes, I am healed. A young couple has a sign that says, death of our son, 2004. Flips it over, it says, new life in Christ, thank you, Jesus. Lady walks out with a sign that says, constant fear of cancer. Now it says, cancer survivor, total trust in God. A couple with a young disabled child, says, special needs child, predicted to die at age two. Says, hope, strength, and peace, with a sign that says, I'll be three next month. A young lady has a sign that says, sideline Christian. It flips over to reveal, going to be a missionary. A man says, we have no children of our own, and flips it over and says, but God has blessed me with hundreds of hillside youth every week. That is the church that's producing this. A lady with a sign that just simply says, lukewarm, flips it over, says, In on fire, with a big exclamation and a big smile. A lady is holding a sign, sexual abuse by uncle led to eating disorder, flipped over to reveal God's true love healed me. A man walks out with a sign, says, Christian imposter. Reveals experiencing God's genuine love. A couple comes out. Lady holds a sign saying, diagnosed with MS, May of 2007. The gentleman has a sign that says, her neurologist, unchurched. Then he flips his sign first and it says, baptized, Easter 2008, with a big smile. And she, with an even bigger smile, has a sign that says, worth it, worth it. It's a lot of applause to that one. A couple comes out, and he's holding a sign that says sinful, and she's holding a sign that says divorce, sinful divorce. And they flip it over, and it says God restored. The next 
man comes out and it says former cult member and he flips his sign over to reveal grace filled loving shepherd a young couple comes out three stillborn babies in heaven and they flip over the sign that says living with joy till we're united again couple comes out with a sign says marriage was doomed separated summer of 2007 received sex dating and marriage counseling and then says became a christian and baptized in january in love again solid marriage big exclamation a young preteen says i knew i needed forgiveness and it says gave my life to christ baptized couple walks out says i attended church 10 years without my husband and he held a sign that simply says i was not the husband my wife needed me to be and then he turns it over and says, I'm now the spiritual leader of my family. And she turns for a sign that says, my prayers were answered. Young man comes out and it says from volunteer, flips over to full-time staff. Lady comes out and says, shattered by my anger. She turns her sign to reveal, restored by his love. Lady comes out and says, diagnosed in 2000, incurable cancer, living, breathing, and serving today. A lady comes out, loss of son to suicide, found God's amazing grace. And then one of the band members unstraps his guitar and, and walks out, and it says, drinks, drugs, rock and roll life. And he turns the sign, and it says, playing praise to Christ. The next is a young teen. It says, mom passed away. I hated God. It says, now my faith has never been stronger. A lady comes out, her sign says, convicted felon. She turns and reveals Bible study teacher. Couple comes out. The man holds a sign that says fiercely independent single dad. And the lady has a sign that says fiercely independent single mom. They return their signs and it reveals totally loved and accepted, tightly woven, blended family. The next is a lady and a husband and it says struggled with having a child. His sign says adopted a son in May. She flips hers and it says, and we're pregnant. Big smiles on both. And then the pastor comes out and begins to speak again. You think after three times, it just wouldn't be as emotional. I said, I have a question for you. What if we're your welcoming committee in the kingdom of heaven? What if because of how you use your resources... This is who welcomes you into the eternal dwellings. I believe Jesus is very serious about this. And every one of you could write your cardboard testimony. There is no doubt. But the biggest lie Satan wants to sell us is, oh, they don't need, he doesn't need my money. That church doesn't need this. We don't, we don't. It's not what we're to worry about. What we're to concern ourselves with is, God, are you changing lives powerfully? And where can I invest? And wherever we receive our spiritual nourishment, our own local church home that we attend or are members of, that's where we invest. What if when you get to the kingdom of heaven, this is your welcoming committee? Some powerful stuff in there. It's each one of us could write something, and the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and say, I, I'm sorry, and he says you're forgiven, you get to flip that over. 
and be who you're designed to be. And, and, and some of that stuff, you know, we see that God used something. You're like, why in the world would he make someone so sick and, and, or, or allow that to happen? But you see how he can work through those situations to make good. I love that when the, the, the neurologist was, you know, unchurched and, and he goes, but now I'm baptized. And she said, worth it, worth it. And some of those were behavioral things like, you know, the, my lifestyle or, or the way I viewed people like this and, and, and God changed them. Or maybe it was their circumstances and they were healed or, or something. It's incredible. But God can change. And we talk about real change. Real change is possible. It's hard to change yourself. It's hard to change others. But how many of those were people saying, I prayed and I prayed and prayed and the prayers were answered? That's how it works. Let's make that our prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are so amazing. You know that you created us for good. You created us to do good. But because we live in a fallen world and we are just sinful nature, Lord, we fall short of that expectation. So we thank you for the miracle of the cross that came and provided this bridge so you did not have to forgo one bit of your, your sovereignty, one bit of your your holiness for us to have a relationship with you. We can now come directly to you to say, hello, I love you, I'm sorry. And you get to say those things right back to us. Lord, it is so wonderful. So Lord, as we continue what our cardboard testimony might be, and it might be different today from five years ago or five years from now, but you say, I am here for you, child. I love you. I want you to flip that sign over. I want you to find peace and joy and hope and blessing because that is what I have designed for you in this world. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray for patience with ourselves and with others as we're all on this journey trying to be better and more like you, even if that's what we don't realize that that's what's going on. So I thank you so much for your mercy, your patience and grace. It's in your son's name that we came here today and we get to leave some stuff behind as we go out experiencing that mercy. We thank you for that. Amen.